can't believe that you haven't seen it love it so much you really gotta stream it let me tell you every line right now i can quote the whole thing since i was 12. maybe your mom told you no she said she Hello to all of our wonderful listeners out there. I am Brandon Greenhouse, and this is my good Judy, as the gays say, uh, the gays being us, um, Jane Blackburn Hammer, and you are listening to Movies We Missed, a podcast that's dedicated to revisiting the films of yesteryear. And each week, one of us takes on the task of the assigner, and one of us takes on the role of the watcher, not in any freaky way, although there's nothing wrong with that. But um, yeah, we watch movies together and we gab about it, which is something that we do in real life. But now we're just doing it recorded for you, minus all the really dirty stuff. Janie, how are you doing? I'm good, B. How are you? I'm doing good. And you're giving us that um, that honey blonde life, I see. You're I did. I best Mary J. <laughs> I did. Actually, so I did make a change to my hair this week. It is more of a honey blonde as opposed to a white blonde. Um, I'm living through it. I'm experiencing it. I'm not sure I love it. Dealing, you know? I mean, look, I think it looks great, but I just am not sure it's for, it's for me. Well, we've got our first comment from one of our listeners, Woodruff in Topeka, <laughs> Kansas says, and I quote, me likey. <laughs> nice Woodruff. Nice. And Thank helps. you, Woodruff. You are either inside of my apartment or standing outside staring at the window, and I'd like to kindly ask you to leave. <laughs> That's great. Keeping it pointy in Topeka. We love it. We love to see it. We love to hear about it. Um, yeah, we've got some people in Dubuque, but we're going to get to you in a moment. Um, but Jane, how was your Le Week? My week has been very good. I've been just working, living. I've been watching a lot of The Nanny, which I know you have too, which has been... Absolutely. It's been an incredible trip down memory lane. I love Fran Drescher. I don't think I realized how much I loved Fran Drescher until I started watching. I didn't either. And I have, dare I say, been getting a little worked up just (laughs) thinking about the fact that I don't feel like Fran Drescher has been given her just due. (laughs) Um, I feel like she... I love, I love the idea of you just, like, getting mad without any... You you haven't done any research about how well-respected she is. Well, no, I don't mean, like, a barometer. I know that she's the people's, she's the people's queen. She's, you know, Long Island royalty, right? At least from New York, I would assume. I mean, in the 90s, there was no one who could do it better. Nobody gets some gagging in Synecdoche like our girl Dresh. And there was no other people's princess that people were talking about in the 90s besides Fran. I feel like awards own accolades. I mean, I feel like a lot of attention was being around this era. It was a very, like, Helen Hunt heavy moment um, in the world. I feel like <laughs> oh, everybody was like, mad, mad about, about her. you. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody was all about Hunt and Riser. And I feel like, you know, our Barbie and Ken, Fran Drescher, and of course, Mr. Sheffield. I don't feel like they were really given the shine that they deserve, which can also be credited with the fact that I did not know the actor's name. So I just went with <laughs> the character's name and just his last name. Well, so. I actually don't know the male character's name either. I've seen him in other things. The British 
Broadway producer who she like falls in love with. Well, Maxwell Sheffield Charles Shaughnessy is his name, which feels exactly right. Yep, that Um, sounds right. So that's um, that's something that we're both taking in. It's been fun. I just am like every outfit that she comes in. I'm like her fits are. I can't believe I don't own those. Like so good. All of it is so. So good. good. Every outfit, I feel like almost everything that she wears is still in vogue. And actually an interesting question, sorry, are these designers? Are these like legit, yeah. like, these yeah. are like legit, like she's wearing like Gautier. She's wearing Gucci. Yeah, wearing, I mean, like, I don't know specific designers, but they're definitely all like designer clothing. Like I they I feel, feel like I remember that. Like and I'm also some... being like really, really certain about something that I don't know, but I actually really do. I feel very strongly that that's true, although I have not looked that up. But I'm 99% sure that it's like designer clothing. That's very on brand for us, though. <laughs> we love a good it's declaration. Cer- it's certainly on brand for me because you know I barely do my research for this podcast. Yeah, I know. I'm listening to too. Um, but yeah, I feel like something she was wearing the other day, I was thinking, that's Dolce. That looks like early 90s, now vintage, and things from the 90s are now vintage, apparently. And I'm old. I know. Like you and me, baby. Right? It's just like, it's this time. Time is a, it's a, it's a fickle friend, you know? It sure is. So yeah. Anyway, The Nanny's great. Everybody should be watching it. I mean, gay, tw- gay Twitter is alight with it. So it's like, exactly. I... I know we're not the only ones like indulging because it just it just got added to HBO Max, so people are very excited about it. And Jane is very up to date on what's going on with gay Twitter. She of has an official seat. What are you in charge of, like well, transportation? <laughs> yeah. So we've done our pop culture corner, which featured a lot of nanny talk, which a lets lot you know that talk. it's not exactly. Up to date. Should we oh, talk about the movie? Say, yeah, let's do it. Let's dive right in. I got to sign the movie this week, and um, I gave Jane the task of watching Black cinema classic Boomerang, 1992, a quintessential film that, um, yeah, has inspired a lot of conversation around around this household. And we were just having a really spirited conversation just about race and about racism and, mm. you know, the movie and the reception of the film when it came out and yeah. all that good stuff because it, it really did pose a lot of interesting questions. But um, aside from all that, which I'm sure we'll be dappling into over the course of the mm-hmm. discussion, it's just a great film. A lot of my my white friends who have and are usually up to date on like popular movies or had a very similar experience to me cinematically growing up, like have never seen this movie before. And usually the reaction I get is, oh my God, this movie's so great. I never saw it. It just like wasn't a movie that was sort of around or presented. And most Black people that I know, it's like, it's canon for like growing up, you know, as a Black person in the early 90s. And it's really interesting. It's Eddie Murphy, who was like one of the biggest stars of the time. But it is, it's like some, a lot of people have just have not seen it. It's just really fascinating to me. My my husband, mm-hmm. David, who um, identifies as Caucasian, had not seen it either. <laughs> it's it's just interesting to me, but enjoyed it, loved it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's so interesting to me, and that a I first of all am a huge romantic comedy person, and Absolutely. like could not believe that after watching this, I was like, why have I not seen this? Like, I had heard about it. I've heard the name of the movie m- multiple times, For but. Sure. I just never, it never, I never came across it. I think it's a movie that's, it's a lot of fun. It's, 
really um, saucy. It's like quintessential mm-hmm. 90s in a really wonderful way. Wait, so, do you, good. before we get into it, do you want to read the synopsis so we can I speak I freely? Zoo. Okay. Okay. So I'm going to go ahead and give you guys a little bit of a, a little taster, a little aperitif. Let's get into it. <laughs> 90s advertising executive Marcus Graham has it all. A beautiful penthouse, wonderful friends, and throngs of gorgeous women vying for a spot in his little black book. He literally has his pick of the most eligible women in New York City. Maybe that's why he's so indecisive and unable to commit. Too many choices. Marcus has this insane and totally unreasonable list of expectations that has to be met by any woman hoping to be anything more than a one-night stand. This perfect a woman cannot possibly exist. Wait, hold on. Perhaps I spoke too soon. Enter Jacqueline Breuer, a stunning executive who snags the position Marcus had his eye on and possibly his affections as well. Will she win his heart? Perhaps the better question is, does she even want it? Jacqueline takes Marcus on an emotional roller coaster that he's more accustomed to handing out the tickets for than actually riding himself. Marcus becomes so fixated on her that he might miss out on the perfect girl who could be standing right next to Jacqueline. Whichever decision he makes, he'd better be careful. While Cupid can usually be found with a bow and arrow in his hands, I happen to know for some of his tougher cases, he uses a boomerang. Oh my God. That was absolutely beautiful. First of all, I mean, the writing inspired. The delivery, pitch perfect. Another movie we won't be discussing or watching. Beautiful. Thank you, Jamie. Jamie. (laughs) My queen. Yeah, it was, yeah, it's a lot of fun. And, um... So I'm going to throw it over to you, Jane. Like, Yeah, I mean, really delighted to get into it. And the first thing that I wanted to talk about was the clothes. Absolutely. The, the clothes in this movie are... I mean, we were talking about the nanny earlier and all those iconic outfits. I feel like this rivals that everyone from Eddie Murphy's character to Robin Givens to Halle Berry. I have a lot to say about what they put Halle Berry in. Everyone looks incredible, yeah. and it's such an absolute timestamp. Delightful to see each and every outfit. Yeah, it's a, it's really like, <laughs> it's really a celebration of the '90s. And one of the things that I came across was the director of the film, Reginald Hudlin, was a newer, younger director at the time. He had had a really big success a couple years earlier with House Party. And, yeah, um, I, yeah, when I looked him up, I noticed that that was just before this. And I was like, okay, that I've seen. That's like a huge, that was it, a big yes. movie at the time. And that and that was what inspired Eddie to approach him about directing the, about directing the film. And he said in an interview that he really wanted to make sure that it was beautiful, that all of the, the clothing in the film was gorgeous. He understood that that was a huge part about making this film and he was really like hell-bent on making sure that the wardrobe was really good he actually he was quoted as saying the clothing in the movie is incredible for both the men and the women eddie looks great robin and hallie look great great hair great makeup work for all concerned Mm because we wanted it to look fantastic we wanted to give people a level of production value that they hadn't seen for eddie's first foray into true romantic comedy So I think that like, it's clear watching this film, which I didn't, I mean, I don't think I really noted as a child watching this film, and it has been a number of years since I've seen it. So a lot of this felt very new to me as well, but Mm -hmm. like everybody looks so 
good and it's just great and it, and it was clear to me that it was very intentional especially with uh eddie's character marcus and with robin gibbons character jacqueline like the two of them but i mean i, I can't say especially because we've got so the supporting cast looks really amazing in this film as well yeah they but, do yeah. It was it was really fun. So I mean, I guess we can just start from the beginning. Yeah. I mean, like the first thing that I noticed was like already like instantly the music. It was like so 1992 and like so, so good. good. I like slid just right in. You hopped on the ride. It's easy. It's an easy one to sort of like. It's very atmospheric. It like mm-hmm. it pulls you into this sort of world of like upper class sort of this New York. upper class but like still cool there's like upper class stuffy everything that isn't what you know everything inappropriate or whatever but it's like this is like cool because it's in new york city you know what i mean it's not like lots of like fancy colors but like classy for 1992 that was another purpose that was another thing that was mentioned actually was that the director i i read had mentioned was wanting it to be wanting it to be up class without being like you just said stuffy like he wanted it he didn't want it to be that sort of overly buttoned up approach to affluence he wanted it to be sort of that upper class but meets sort of like the edge of like streetwear and like totally that sort of it has a little bit of a grittiness to it that makes it feel i think a little bit more like approachable and mm-hmm. it adds a lot of interest to it as well because it, it's something about the movie where they're not really they're not performing that type of success or well right exactly i i'm actually like <laughs> well done to this director because i'm like literally calling out all of the things that he made a point of doing no that's really wonderful well. no yeah. no that's so that that's very telling that you know the point got across yeah, like he accomplished what he wanted to accomplish. And it's just so great because you just open on Eddie Murphy walking through the office. My first thought was like, I mean, he's essentially me doing everybody in the fucking lobby. <laughs> like all these women giving them the what for. Nothing like it is inappropriate by today's standard. Also, was this was this appropriate in 1992 to be treating women like this in the workplace? It's well, it's interesting because the way that this movie is directed, I think that it it's not like Eddie is like skeevily sort of like rolling no. up on women and like, you know, them cringing. It's very like No, it's not know. creepy at all. It's is like it my turn. Yeah, like everybody's gagging for it. They like can't wait for their turn for like attention from Marcus. And they're like, ooh, Marcus is here. Hi, Marcus. Like they're like initiating it. As Jane, as some would say, Jane would say, they're asking for it, essentially. Um, so we we find out that David Allen Greer and Martin Lawrence are his BFFs at work and they're like getting lunch or something like that. And it's straight out the gate with those transphobic jokes. Yeah, they they come in really strong. It's so interesting watching movies now and like clocking stuff like that and just being like, oof, ugh. I remember the moment that it happened, I was like, oh God, this is is that this movie? Is that what I don't remember that being like the tone of this film but like you have that moment but also it's like we have to like acknowledge those things i mean in of these course. classic films yeah. yeah you're absolutely right i was like oh that is just like not okay <laughs> it's not okay and like it was clearly written to be a joke at the time didn't have the training or the and a lot of us still don't as a society to be like hey we need to god if you make- guys read a jane blackburn hammer joint one of her scripts <laughs> it is it is it is unspeakable. <laughs> Let's just say baby girl is basically comatose. If the opposite of her is woke, then <laughs> she's sleeping. <laughs> she ain't in a coma. 
um and that's one of my that's one of my jokes for my stand-up act yeah so we will be missing that um also wasn't eddie murphy like didn't like in the 90s or something wasn't he caught with like a trans sex yeah, worker in his car he was he was okay was this um, before or after i think that was after this <laughs> yeah i'm on I don't it think now he, i feel like he wouldn't be making those jokes if he if, or maybe he would be because it was like he was trying to be like i'm in on it yeah it was in 97 and very quickly you get the like the idea because Martin Lawrence is this like kind of like womanizing like sex hound and David Ongrier is this hey like I want more from women than just sex what about a true like human connection and it's like okay you get that like Martin Lawrence is one side of Marcus's character and David Ongrier is another side of Marcus's character so it's like he has that balance or he's like the balance between the two. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and then you see Leela Rashawn. Yeah. Leela uh, Rashawn. I couldn't remember her name, but I know she's in Wayne to Exhale, isn't she? She's in, yeah, she's in Wayne to Exhale. She was mm -hmm. in Harlem Nights, which was an Eddie Murphy film. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. A few years before this, just a really quintessential like actress for like the nineties. She actually married Antoine Fuqua, who's the director of Training Day. Um, oh. and I think she's semi-retired okay. now, but yeah, she's wearing that amazing like white fur outfit. So he ends up like hooking her. I think her name is her character's name is Christy, and they like yes. He ends up manipulating her into asking him out. This is like you see this throughout the movie where he's like preying on women's emotions to like get them to push forward to do the thing that he wants to do, which is have sex or ask them out or whatever. And it's like very manipulative. And initially you're like, he's a fucking prick. Like he doesn't care about women. He's just like trying to trick people into bed. And they really like push through that narrative. He like invites her over to his house for dinner. Let's take a minute to talk about his house. Oh, yeah. It's a penthouse. I don't know what it is, but he's in New York City. You do not get that enormous of a house in New York City. I don't care. He's not a millionaire. I mean, he's not. Yes, he does well. But like, I feel like you need to be a millionaire to have a house like that in New York City. It's but like it's a also... loft, but it's huge. I mean, there's no way. Yeah, it's like... a studio loft. It's a studio loft apartment. It has a dining area because they sit down and they have dinner at one point. Also has like, like an outdoor huge... area. Yeah, huge outdoor area where we run into his crazy neighbor, Tisha Campbell, who's hilarious. I iconic. It's iconic just good to see her, you know? Tisha she Campbell. doesn't she doesn't do a lot in this movie, but it's good to see her. But you're so happy she's there and when <laughs> you, you realize when you remember she's in the movie, it's a warm hug. And it is. It just, it's a And she's the person moment. who is there speaking the truth. She's like that like character who like seems really insane, but she's but they're actually the one who's like telling the truth and she's like Marcus. Marcus. Yeah. Yeah, she's letting the girls know because she's obviously been one of Marcus's conquests, so to speak. She knows the game he runs. I mean, you gather that whenever he brings any woman back, if she can see through like that shared fence in their, their shared backyard area, she can see inside and she's yelling out his name to like let him know and to let the woman know. You know, she's like, don't trust him. She like writes signs that say, her, like, yeah, she has her signs. Yeah, I can't remember the signs say, but she like spends her time writing signs and holding them up in the backyard. It's also one of those things from movies where it's like, if you really start to pull the thread, it makes no sense. Like, why would this woman spend so much of her time focused on what he's doing? 
Yeah. But but it helps for the movie. Because because you it seems like maybe they've had sex like once or twice. That's the one of the interesting things about Marcus is that like throughout the movie, I feel like there are moments where you think for you to be like as sort of adept at this game as you are of like, you know, manipulating the playboy, it's like you really have no problem with shitting where you ate. Like, I know that's the thing it's like why would you sleep with your fucking neighbor everyone knows that's a bad idea even though I mean yeah. I wonder if he's just like so desperate for attention one day he was like well she's she's here and so or it's I. that thing about him which comes up later of just like I think like a certain weakness which is which is also like an outcome <laughs> that we give to men in the real world absolutely bullshit but like within the context of this film like that idea of like I can't control myself I got this big hard on and oh my me and my big boner we get ourselves in so much trouble and it's like or you could just like not be a fucking idiot and just like this is gonna get messy i I don't see this leading to anything that would like make whatever you know is gonna come after it worth it we're back at the office we run to chris rock he's here for the party he's so young looking he plays like the male boy or something. The ma- that is yes. so disparaging. I just called him the male boy. Yeah, he works he, in the mail room. He makes in the mail room. <laughs> he is at this time. I think Chris Rock was like a protege of Eddie Murphy. Eddie, you know, brought him into the fold and mm-hmm. I think helped get up to cure him a role. Mm-hmm. in you know the film which i mean like you know this is like sort of the quintessential like 90s like crew like this film you've yeah got, i mean like, there's so many people in this movie oh yeah well, and got- one of the things that brandon told me to do which i did which was really fun the first time i watched this movie he was like don't watch the opening credits because it will spoil like all the people who show up you know and you it's won't- fun isn't it to just like it's let so just- fun when they just pop up you're like oh i don't know i yeah. love it Exactly. So that was really fun. And I'm glad you gave me that info because we find out that Lady Eloise is none other than Eartha motherfucking Kit. Eartha Kit looking incredible. I mean, her voice is so iconic. I think you, I don't remember this, but I think you hear her before you see her. I think so. And I remember being like, I heard it and it was like Spidey senses turning on. Like, that's Eartha Kitt. They have this exchange in the conference room. It's endlessly sexual. The tension is like thick. And they actually keep exchanging the word tight in a very sexual way. I don't know if you noticed that, but they keep using the word tight. And I was like, okay, well, (laughs) this is a bit much because she is a woman in her 70s at this point, I'm assuming. But I think she was like mid 60s, but go ahead and age her up. (laughs) whatever i mean she looked incredible she was in this like green outfit like she looked amazing there's a special place in purgatory for women who don't just who don't support other women and i just want that to be noted so they have this like exchange or whatever and she like basically tells marcus to come over for dinner so she he shows up at her apartment i don't even know what it is it's not, it's like her pen her like yeah it's, townhouse it's, in new york it's, it's a, a mansion whatever it is yeah <laughs> it was a room at a hotel that had been ivana trump i think had designed the room if i remember correctly. oh my god okay well that makes sense because it's like extremely gaudy and like gold yeah it was shot at the park plaza hotel in a suite personally redesigned by ivana trump oh my god <laughs> Yeah, you can tell. Eartha Kitt shows up in this, like, insane red lacy dress. (laughs) They have dinner. They're this huge table. And she's, like, 
fake filleting an asparagus spear. Like, I feel like we respect Eartha Kitt too much to be, like, making her do this, but it seems like she was on board, so whatever. <laughs> well, apparently Eartha actually, they had to actually rewrite a lot of it because there was a lot of stuff that Eartha Kitt was not comfortable with that was actually taken <laughs> out because she thought that it was too body. And I just thought, what was that? What? Like, this I is what we what... ended up with. <laughs> it's like, it, I, I assume, I bet a lot of it was at this dinner scene, and it actually makes me wonder, were they like, okay, we'll take it out, but you're going to have to fillet this asparagus to balance things out a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, all right, well, I guess we're playing ball as if she needed this movie. <laughs> Consider yourself to have a deal. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's Thank really, you. really good. That was Marcus really good. Dolly. <laughs> Okay. That is actually really good. I can't do it at all. Do you want me to try? No. Okay. So Marcus sleeps with Lady Eloise because he thinks it's going to help him professionally. You get the sense that he doesn't really want to, but he does it. I actually kind of like that they turn that trope on its head where it's usually a woman having to sleep her way to the top, but like Eddie Murphy is like fine to do that. They do that a lot in this movie, I think. They do. They, they yeah, do well, a this lot is the first like... example of it for sure. Yeah. And so it was nice to see that because I was like, oh, okay. Because like when you first start the movie, you think like you have to watch a man do a bunch of horrible things to a woman and then eventually at the end she's going to forgive him. But like this is very different. This is not that movie. So, and that was, the, this was the first indicator that it's like, like <laughs> Lady Eloise is getting hers no matter what because she can't because they indicate that she's also like kind of losing it <laughs> so like well, also, she like, doesn't I mean, make any decisions about the company also well that's the thing I mean not to not to jump us too far ahead but no it's fine I mean we have that the moment you know where we meet you know Robin Gibbons uh, who mm-hmm. just looks glorious she's so stunning yeah. And she appears in the movie and she's giving us full 1990s Robin Williams. Robin Williams, my goodness, the opposite <laughs> of Robin Williams. Um, in every way, not that Robin Williams wasn't great, but I mean, Robin Gibbons. But he is didn't like, look like Robin Gibbons. <laughs> he did not. I think I think no one will no one will contest that. There's some crazies out there, though, who knows? Um, anyway, Robin Gibbons looking beautiful, but there's a moment where she's sort of, she's new to the company. We see Marcus take her in. So, like, the next scene is, like, they're in the lobby of the building, and he, like, chases her down, and he's like, I just had to let you know that you're, like, the most beautiful woman I've ever seen. And she laughs at him in a way that is so beautiful. It's, like, so belittling. And she's like, <laughs> she's like, <laughs> that is pathetic. <laughs> you're just like, it feeds your soul. Great. It, it's a great moment. And uh, Robin Givens, an actress, a model in her own right, forever sort of tied in a lot of people's minds to her her short but tumultuous, you know, entanglements and a marriage to Mike Tyson, um, who was mm. like the biggest boxer in the world at the time. And I mean, mm. it, it really did end up having this negative effect on her career. A lot of people saw her as this sort of like pariah or man eater. Um, Reginald, the director, was hell bent on having her in this part. The uh, production company did not want her. He was like, no, she's perfect. All of the reasons that you don't want her are the reason she's perfect for this part. Um, yeah, he was like, I think sense. that like those things about her are the things that are really going to make her shine in this role because we need someone who can go toe to toe with Eddie Murphy. We need someone mm-hmm. who can best him at his game and she is mm-hmm. equipped to do that. And mm-hmm. I mean, he was absolutely 100% correct. Like she's perfect for this part. I, I, I can't imagine anybody else playing it. Right. She is so good. She does this thing 
which I think is really masterful throughout the whole movie, where she she's clearly flirting with him. She's not putting him down, but she's taking him down a peg. Eddie Murphy is, you can see, or Marcus, like throughout this whole movie, he is like cock of the walk in every fucking room he's in. Mm-hmm. And Robin shows up, or Jacqueline is her character's name. Robin shows up and she's like, that yeah maybe that's true and you're very good looking you're very charming but you are not cock of the walk in every room that i'm in so i just i think she has that energy that she just is able to exude you know even when she's not speaking yeah she also does this thing i think sometimes where she it's a power move in and of itself where she just sometimes lets the person talk and she sort of sort of rests and just allows them to to say a lot mm-hmm. and it's it's just a it's a business power move as i know we've talked about this in the last episode i'm familiar with the world of business i know what it's like <laughs> to move product um and i know what it's like to have your ear to the pulse of the mm-hmm. world i was the person behind zima anyways and then we like open on this work party which is the most <laughs> extravagant work party i've ever fucking seen yeah, in it's my insane. life it's, it's like I don't even know what the location is, but it's, like, half inside, half outside, or it's, like, in this, like, palace that, like, has no ceiling or something. I'm very confused about what it is, but it's, like, an insane venue. It's an insane venue, and I'm more familiar with work parties where we're all, like, fighting over, like, donuts from Dunkin'. Which, like, I don't know if you saw the decor, but there were, like, langoustines and, like, lobsters, like, attached to, like bushes like on the table it was like in it was like fit for like a medieval king and i was like yeah why don't i work at this fucking company right but it's we so meet at this party halle berry and she is a creative person like she does like she works a, in like the art department i think she is a creative person creative person <laughs> and i she's supposed to be this like cute like girl next door person which is so funny because she is one of the most beautiful women in the world so it's like they I feel like definitely they, i feel like they think that like not putting makeup on her <laughs> or, like putting very little she is of course wearing makeup because this is a movie and everybody wears makeup in movies but it's <laughs> It's definitely not like she's not doing like a smoky eye. You know what I mean? It's like very like cute, yeah, cute makeup. There's no like red lip. Like it's it's, we're really trying to like make you understand. Also, like it's clear that in like the the sort of design elements of the movie, it's funny because I had a conversation with my mom about this recently because my mom loves this film and we were talking about it. And my mom said, you know. Holly Berry was, she was the, you know, she was around the way girl. She was, you know, Mm -hmm. they were really pushing the whole Afrocentric vibe, which was really popular in the 90s fashion wise. Mm -hmm. Um, It was a lot of like, you know, they had her in tribal fabrics and they had her in like, you know, they had her in hats and things like that. They were really trying to sell her as like earthy, less fussy, you know, Mm -hmm. next to Jacqueline's sort of, yeah, next artistic, next to Jacqueline's glamour girl. They were really trying Mm -hmm. to, you know, Jacqueline's in these impeccably like tailored suits and dresses and she's got the long flowing hair and, mm-hmm. you know, all, and the makeup on. And so they're really trying to sort of set these two up as like opposite ends of a coin, so to speak. Totally. Which is just funny because knowing how Halle Berry is now, it's like she's an iconic beauty. You know what yes. I mean? But um, then we get to <laughs> the best part. I mean, the movie yeah. really starts to take off when 
we get introduced to Stranger and a helicopter holding a crate flies up, drops the crate down, and out come four white men dressed like leather daddies, and they are pulling a chariot with Grace motherfucking Jones <laughs> behind them, dressed like she got lost on her way to the set of The Hunger Games. <laughs> and she's, like, whipping them and makes her way to stage, and it's amazing. I mean, to see her in anything is a joy because you know it's going to be so weird and so like out of pocket and I was just like so delighted to see her. Well, I will also note that I just I'm instantly thinking like why the hell is Grace Jones not in the Hunger Games because I can <laughs> so hear Grace Jones <laughs> saying may the odds be ever in your favor. Exactly. And, like, and it would be amazing. Also, I just wanted to note when I was getting everything ready for this and the cast list came up and her name is Helen Stranger, which is oh, so God, I saw that funny too, to I me. Looking <laughs> What? Like, and I was like, nobody ever calls her Helen in this entire what? movie. Everyone refers to her why? as Stranger. And like, why are they giving her the first name of like a white grandmother? Like, yeah, unacceptable. It's like Helen like works in HR. Like, yeah. it's just no reason for it. But I love that at some point in the script, it was like, Barb Stranger. Uh, it's just really funny because I can't imagine anybody calling her Helen in this movie and not getting like their face ripped off like okay well I guess like Ruth was taken so they went with right. Helen like, Esther what is... could you come with us Esther Stranger Esther um, Stranger actually something about Esther Stranger works a little bit for well, me it's, it's head, even but... better yeah. yeah but she looks Grace Jones looks amazing she comes out she's, she's gorgeous incredible. this part was written for her by the way which is like of course because you know I mean I whenever I see Grace Jones in something I think <laughs> even if I don't have the information I'm like oh of course this part was written for Grace Jones like yeah. I just I just don't think that that people write parts. I feel like people write parts specifically for her. I think so. I think you get an idea in your head and I think that you quickly like probably are thinking like, God, if we could secure Grace Jones for this, that would be amazing. Although I I, I have to think that those are words that have been uttered so many times. So and, many times. And like, there's probably been a, a lot of like, no. <laughs> a and lot of like, like uttered as a women for people. But yeah, so it's an amazing moment. She comes in, Jacqueline introduces her. It's it's just a really incredible moment to sort of like to set up the the next chapter of this film. This workplace is so inappropriate, by the way. She's like just met Marcus, who is like essentially probably higher up than her in the company. Yeah, and she's like, for sure. oh, you like Jacqueline. And she's like, if I if I were a guy, I'd be into Jacqueline, which I'm like <laughs> loving that queer vibe. It was just like a good moment. But it's like, First of all, like, you're bringing this up to him in, like, a very strange way. Like, you literally just met him two seconds ago, but I guess, okay, go off. So, then they're at this meeting with uh, Stranger, Grace Jones. And the chemist is sort of like, right, this is the one with the mm -hmm. fragrance chemist, I guess is what they're called. I don't know. Perfume. Yeah. Perfume. Yeah. He, like, created a a fragrance for Stranger, and they want it to be her signature fragrance. And she smells it. And she doesn't like it. She obviously reacts strongly to it. She doesn't like it. And she says to the chemist, she's like, I want this perfume to be the essence of sex. So what she does in a business meeting is she reaches up her skirt and she takes off her underwear. <laughs> and she fucking rubs her underwear 
in the chemist's nose. In his face, across his, his face. Across she literally face, she puts them under, over his head, right? She, well, she rub, she's specifically rubbing it underneath his nose and all over his face. I don't know if she puts makes him wear her underwear on his head, but either way, he's in there. And I was like, yeah, but it's 1992. It's fine. <laughs> um, well, she's me tooing the whole fucking conference room. She's yeah. throwing her ass in people's faces. She's throwing around words like afterbirth and steel vagina. Oh, that's, I wrote those down. Those were her ideas for potential names for the fragrance. Do you have them Half all? The I didn't have them all. Those were literally the only two I wrote down because those are my favorites. Yeah, I just wrote down still vagina and afterbirth. Those, those are the only two I wrote down too because I was like, those are iconic. If I ever <laughs> have a signature scent, I'm I'm calling it afterbirth or still vagina or still vagina afterbirth. Maybe like a three. Well, well then if you come, up, you should call like call it afterbirth, and then if you come up with like a sequel fragrance, and you can call it afterbirth, and then um, still after afterbirth colon still vagina. Still vagina. Revenge. Yeah, I think that's great. It's still or vagina's revenge. Do- is what I was thinking. Oh, steel vagina's revenge. <laughs> what if it's afterbirth colon steel vagina, and then the second fragrance is steel vagina's revenge? Okay, I'm fine with that. Okay, it sounds like some new like I don't know like it sounds like some new like Riot Girl like superhero movie starring mm-hmm. afterbirth and steel vagina to like save the day. <gasps> Oh my god. If anybody wants to like workshop that or like work it out or write it with us, like we are happy to do that. So go ahead and reach out to us. I'm um, ready for that comic book. Yeah, me too. It's a graphic novel and it's starring Emphasis on graphic. <laughs> Touche. Well done. Anyways, we get the first of Halle Berry's hats. Um, which I know what they're trying to do. <laughs> they're these knit top hat moments and they put her in several of them and it always is when she's in the boardroom. <laughs> I'm like, what are we saying with the hats? Like, is this like my serious business hat? It's, it's, it is like a knit top hat. And I understand you know, we're 30 years out from when this was fashionable. But it, it's hard to see such a beautiful woman <laughs> wearing such insane hats. Maybe this was like their attempt to sort of like quell her beauty. <laughs> I, well, well done. I mean, not really. Well, I you... did. I, I did read that apparently she was the only one to, to really audition for this part. Uh, the director saw her screen test and loved her and was like, I think mm-hmm. that's her. And then brought Eddie in and was like, and Eddie Murphy was like, well, we're done. That's her. That's Angela. She was the part. So they instantly sort of like, I think, connected with her. And maybe they figured out, we'll figure out a way to sort of navigate around her beauty. Not that they, I mean, she's still a beautiful woman, but maybe these yeah. were moments to sort of like make it clear <laughs> that she's a different kind of beauty. She's a different kind of beauty. And <laughs> I mean, the she's choice really. is, she's classically beautiful. She's but. like, she's like <laughs> traditionally absolutely stunning, but like throw in a weird knit hat and I guess we'll call it a day. <laughs> Break for lunch. <laughs> so anyways, they decide after an argument in the boardroom about what to call it, but what to call the perfume. They arrive at calling the perfume Strange. And I thought this was so funny because they all applaud and it's like, 
this is the lowest hanging fruit in the room. Like, we could have, like, I can't believe you weren't going to call it Stranger to begin with. Like, well, it's, I mean, obviously, if this is her, and it's not really clear, it, it's not 100% clear who Stranger is in this world. Like, I, I assume she's some sort of, I assume she's kind of just like Grace Jones. Yeah, me too. Like, we don't know what her resume looks like <laughs> yeah but i get the feeling that she's like a model who's turned like rock star right you know who's also no i mean she's a name name because you know they're they're building this entire sort of like rejuvenation of this brand it seems around her she's very famous mm-hmm. and i think that that's sort of what i get is that she's very akin to what grace jones is to the world so yeah, I mean, her name would be the obvious choice though, because it's probably just like, if Grace Jones was gonna release a fragrance, it should be called Grace Jones. Right, and also the name Stranger is like so singular, that like, yeah. <laughs> you're never gonna be like, oh wait, which Stranger is this? It's like, yeah, you is this know? Stranger or is this Helen? <laughs> oh, exactly. So the next thing I wanna talk about, I don't know if you noticed this, and it's like such a small thing, but it's like, it, it literally pulled me out of my seat because <laughs> when Halle Berry and David Allen Greer are like ending their date mm-hmm. and they're like joking back and forth. Oh, yes. Yes. And, and, like doing uh, like accents or whatever. Yeah. And then Halle Berry does like speaks in like fake Korean yeah. as a joke. And it's like very clearly gibberish. And I was like, <gasps> like also, though, I, I didn't bring this up and I didn't write it down. And I think this was in reference to. Latasha Harlins, who was a 15-year-old African-American girl who was murdered by Soon Jadu, a 51-year-old oh, Korean-American convenience store owner. Yes, I mm. think that that in Los Angeles it happened. Um, it was partly it partly contributed to the 1992 Los Angeles riots. She yes. was shot in Mar- on March 16th, 1991. So I actually think that that was what she was referencing when she made the comment <laughs> afterwards. I forget what the comment was she made exactly, but she said- I wish I had written it down, but I <sighs> was like, I was just like so taken aback by it. Because I it caught was me like, off guard too, yeah. Cause it was yeah. one of those things that I feel like I knew in the nineties that that was not okay. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> oh yeah, but like as a collective, like the decision being made of like, <laughs> we're gonna overlook this. Yeah, it's pretty bad. It's like there's no explaining that away, even if it no. was about, you know. It was about... no, 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 for sure. No. And I only, the only reason why I thought that was because she made a comment about a convenience store after. Roar. But I mean, and if like, you are going to reference like... it, there are more thoughtful ways to reference it. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, there's no walking back that no, 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 no. <laughs> it's just like, that was one of the most like egregious things in this movie that I was like, oh, oh my God. Yeah. But you know what? Like, I also. So I'm like, again, it was 1992. So it's like people would laugh at that kind of thing. But I'm glad we're at a point where nowadays like that, like literally pulls us out of our like, you know. It's so funny now because now when I watch movies, I I don't, I, I am a person, I love humor. I, I, I love like envelope pushing humor if there's a reason totally. for it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, but I now I am so cognizant of things like sometimes that I like, 
I get stifled. And it's like things mm-hmm. that I knew even when I was younger were not okay. Yeah. But I don't know if it was just, I, I understood in my mind that I wasn't okay with them because they stuck out to me. They stick out to you mm-hmm. because there's something about them that feels not like everything else, but not in mm-hmm. a good way. And Well, I think, oh, I'm sorry. No, 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 no. I was just going to say, I think that like the older we get though now, it's like when that stuff happens now in movies, it's like, and you feel this weird thing when you recommend the movie of mm-hmm. like, you feel like you feel like it's like you're responsible for it, or you feel like, like at the beginning that first sort of like joke that Martin Lawrence makes about mm. women with you know penises or whatever in the movie. Yeah. And like the first time I heard it, I was like, I don't remember this being like I don't remember that being this movie. Like I don't remember right. this movie being a movie where these were jokes that feature. And I remember thinking, God, please let that be the only one. Like, of course, because, because you want to be able to still love the movie too. Yeah. And you don't want to have a movie that you adore where you're like, oh, this is a movie then, that I like, have to like love in secret. And I can't exactly. And then also like when you like recommend the movie and then you're like, oh God, I hope the person I recommended this movie to doesn't think that I'm okay with transphobic jokes. Like, it was like... Like, that, like anybody would think that, but I know exactly <laughs> Right, of course. Like but you're just like, like, you're like, oh my God, I co-signed this for someone. Like, and now I'm like watching it. It's like horrible. It was like when we were watching Bridget Jones and like <laughs> the first 30 oh, seconds she like makes a joke. joke yeah she made a joke about a holocaust <laughs> joke and a joke about like japanese people and i was like oh my god i don't remember this in this movie this is not good but and i'm thankful. at home and dave and i are looking at each other like of course yeah classic recommended jane. by jane <laughs> awesome everything is making sense <laughs> the mm, world is round but- <laughs> jane is a racist xenophobic woman <laughs> putting those puzzle pieces together um another thing i noticed <laughs> was okay so they're talking about i don't even remember what they're talking about but the three of the guys are at the gym oh the row machine scene yeah the row machine scene and they use a word for vagina which i understood to be twizza twizzer or is it or were they saying twizzer or twizzot like like twat like twat. like i don't remember this i'm gonna assume oh twiz- okay I don't, I don't remember that word being used but i'm gonna assume twizzot that's that's what i thought on the second go around because i really did pay attention because i was like i've never heard of anybody referring to the only one who, and the only twizzer. person it had to have been martin lawrence right it absolutely okay. <laughs> i feel like it was twizzot probably i need to hold on let me see if i can find my martin lawrence dictionary um my you go boy martin lawrence dictionary um it came with the series uh the complete series uh, on vhs of martin <laughs> <laughs> not Which dvd not dvd no you got you gotta no, have no. the multiple tape versions of <laughs> that ebay vhs version <laughs> no i don't know but i'm streaming to us that yeah okay that makes me feel better because i was like this is a word for a vagina i've never heard you're a lesbian so you should know them all <laughs> and i'm an owner of a vagina <laughs> spoiler <we> alert <laughs> and Oof, thought this was about... a thought this was a no flex zone but continue <laughs> Anyways, so they have sex in New Orleans. It's a very, like, it's a cute sex scene. Like, I thought it was, like, romantic and sweet. 
And I wanted to mention the sex that. scenes are very like there's like this earnestness to the sex scenes in this movie. Yeah. Like, it just sounds a silly thing to say, but they're very intimate. Like they are, and it's for like it, that's why this is like very much a romantic comedy because like there is chemistry between the people yes. who are and like they spent time working on these like sex scenes and their like their chemistry with each other and i was like that so what they i think what they tend to do in these kinds of movies they either cut away really quickly so you there's the implication of them having sex or they make the sex scene quote unquote funny and that to us is like as an audience, it leans more of like a comedy thing and that comes off as being sweet. But they actually like go there with these sex scenes. You know, I think there's an intimacy there that isn't always there in romantic comedies. I would say that's that's very shrewdly observed, Jane. I don't think that I could have put my finger on it, but I think you described it exactly right. It's like usually in, in romantic comedies, they don't really deal with the sex scene at all. It's just like them taking off clothes and the camera pans away. Or it's Mm -hmm. you seeing them like making out and then they're in bed and Mm -hmm. they've had sex. But it's very rare that there are sex scenes in romantic comedy movies where Mm -hmm. they sort of lean into the actual sex. So that is a really interesting thing. I think you're 100% right. I think that it's normally like they find a way to dance around it. But I think that they actually show us like them having really good sex. And this is a silly thing to say, but they seem to have like go after like convincing orgasms kind of like. like, It's just, it's just well done. And like, normally you don't, uh, for lack of a better phrase, you don't always see people finish. Well, these (laughs) are. In these kinds of movies. Jane doesn't see a lot of people finish um, because she's selfish. (laughs) And I actually, I did want to bring something up. I wasn't sure what point you were going to jump to but mm-hmm. we talked about it earlier but there's a scene after they you know Jacqueline and Marcus they do have they have sex there's this mm-hmm. scene when they're back at the office Angela's sitting down with Jacqueline mm-hmm. they're having this meeting which yes. turns into the quickly into them talking about like Marcus and Jacqueline's relationship and Jacqueline gives the indication in this scene that like there is the potential for this to turn into something with Marcus she's speaking about him sort of like she's talking about his sexual prowess you know, she makes comments that lead me to believe that there's potentially something could happen. And then at the end of this scene, they're giggling about him and Marcus comes in. And when Marcus comes into the scene, Angela quickly sort of leaves, she excuses herself. And then it's Jacqueline and Marcus. Marcus goes up behind Jacqueline, wraps his arms around her. She sort of puts, you know, the kibosh on that. They're at work. She, you Mm -hmm. know, she is his boss. You know, the optics of that are not good. And Mm -hmm. then, like, he says something about them making plans. And she says, you're not catching feelings for me, are you? And he says, like, oh, what? What? And, like, it's him backtracking. And then towards the end of the scene, he's like, let's set up a time for it. I want to go on a date. And then Mm -hmm. she says, like, my schedule. I'm really busy right now. You know, call and talk to my assistant, basically. And I remember thinking, like, just as, like, a viewer, I found myself, and I don't know it was the actor in me, but it was like, was this the moment that you made the decision, I got to cut this off? Because it seemed like before he came in, there was a potential for something more. And then once he came in the room... I think I just answered. I think she, I just answered the question in my she, head. No, no, I understand what you're saying. It was you know a I mean? quick. Like it's interesting because we, as the audience, are finding out at the exact same time that Marcus is finding out that like she is all of a sudden not about making this like a real deep relationship. Mm-hmm. The th- difference between Marcus's journey and our journey is that like we have seen her talking to her coworker Halle Berry 
about how into him she is. Mm-hmm. And so it does feel like, and I don't know, and maybe and maybe you did answer that question where the second she sees him and experiences him in her space and him treating her like a girlfriend, maybe that is something where she realizes, like, I can't have this shit at work, you know what I mean? And so the rug is sort of pulled out from un- underneath Marcus and us because this is our first indication. And me as a viewer, this is my first time watching this, I'm like, oh, so she's giving him a taste of his own medicine. Like, how long is this going to last? Yes, I think it's a quick strategic change. I don't Mm -hmm. think she's playing a game with him. I don't think her goal is to manipulate him, which some people think, and I don't think so. I think that- I don't either. I don't either. I think she very quickly decides I need to keep this at an arm's length. I think she quickly, yeah, I think she quickly like assesses the situation. I think she sort of weighs the pros and cons. And I think she sort of makes the decision. I don't know why I'm using these. I feel like I'm using military terms. Maybe I'm not at all. And people are like, what's this gay guy talking about? But I feel like she quickly (laughs) makes a decision to like retreat. Like, I feel like she quickly makes a decision to like remove her forces Mm -hmm. from the situation. And like, this isn't a battle that she is going to attempt to take on. You're really going in deep with those military references. (laughs) I just feel like I had to justify it after I said it. But I feel like that's what it is. I feel like there's a moment where she's like, okay, we're going to be removing the troops. We're like, I do not like, yeah, I'm just going to, I, she senses something from him. And I don't know if it's like a fear within her that she also maybe senses something within herself. But Mm -hmm. I think also her number one concern is like her job. And she does say like, let's just like leave. What happened in New Orleans was what happened in New Orleans. And that was really nice. But like, let's not get ahead of ourselves. Like you're not catching feelings on me. Like that's the one thing that she does do, which I think is like pretty shitty where she's like, you're not catching feelings, are you? Or whatever she says. And it's like, okay, girl, like this was not the energy you were giving off in New Orleans though. So like... (laughs) But I she also kind of made feeling... him look like stupid a little bit. <laughs> well, it's what's well, also like, well, maybe it's her like remembering herself where it's like, okay, I, that was, I can't get caught up. But yeah, but then something... she does do that sort of reversal thing where like, oh, you thought this was something, which is like kind of a manipulative mean thing to do. But I don't, I don't think she is mean or manipulative, although she's like from this point on very clear about what she wants but that one thing where she was like oh it sounds like you got a little bit twisted and it's like but you were giving off a vibe in New Orleans that like you were into him and I actually I'm realizing as we go through I think I think the question is going to be answered in multiple scenes later on too okay well so then the next time that they are able to get together he like wants to have a date and then, like, she, like, stands him up. He, like, buys these tickets. Also, I don't know if you noticed, another shout out to him doing something very inappropriate. He is waiting at the venue and he asks mm-hmm. the ticket guy something I, when the show starts or whatever. And then the ticket guy doesn't hear him. So he does, like, a fake deaf voice to, like, mock him. Oh, that's and right, yeah. I was like, Eddie, stop. Yeah, but- really dicey. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> again, just one of those things. Yeah. <laughs> one of those 1992 things that we, like, thought was cute. Anyway, so she stands him up and then shows up at his apartment, like, several hours later for a booty call, basically. And 
they end up they do end up having sex and it is again one of those sex scenes where it there is some like adorableness to it like there is that intimacy and they show it um so yeah so the next thing it's just another example of like him getting his like the the role reversal right which is one of the things that this movie does that i really like where you know he's basically getting what he has done to countless other women where he she's using him for sex and one of the lines she says and she's like i was so tense when i got off the plane but you really relaxed me and it was like this just sounds like something like an asshole dude would say to a girl who like he is using for sex and so there is like in some ways like you do kind of feel bad for him but it's it's a nice sort of like retribution for what we saw in the beginning i feel like she gives she seems to be giving more indication of what's of of what the real situation is that i feel like he's been giving to women absolutely absolutely he's like, lucky to have the information that she gives yeah him. yeah she's given him <laughs> like, like this isn't what i want like i don't know and also she never told him or made him believe that it was what she wanted which i think he and she also never like she didn't play game on him that scene mm-hmm. where they have sex for the first time is literally her just being like come over here yeah like it's not like she's made him believe it's going to be anything more so he i mean you know as we see earlier in the movie marcus goes through a whole ruse to get women to have sex with him and pretending to be this guy who's been hurt yeah, before he, and it's very he's vulnerable. like emotionally manipulative so she actually gives him more reality than he has offered to any woman you mm-hmm. know up to this point so you know yeah, so that's act- that's actually a really good point. Like, it's a taste of his own medicine, but it's mm-hmm. much sweeter than the than the shit he's serving. <laughs> and so then, <laughs> I guess they finally make the Stranger commercial, mm-hmm. and <laughs> they're presenting it to everybody. And Nelson has been in charge of directing this commercial, but um marcus hasn't seen it he basically like doesn't care about work so he's like nelson just like do whatever you think and the commercial is absolutely everything and i hope that i can describe this properly but like it's like a 10 second spot grace jones you see grace jones naked body from behind and she's rising out of like a pond and then she turns around and her face is melted off and it's a skull And then it cuts to her and she's in this like dress made of metal and twigs, I guess. And she's screaming and giving birth to her own perfume bottle. And the tagline that they go with is Stranger. It stinks so good. (laughs) It's so perfect. It's really amazing. And the and like as the bottle comes out, there's like the sounds of like a newborn baby crying. Yes, exactly. As she and, like holds it to her bosom. And like kisses it, I think. Yeah, she kisses it. In my mind, it's a perfect commercial. <laughs> but for some reason <laughs> It doesn't get the reception isn't quite isn't quite there. <laughs> for some reason they're not into it. Yeah, no, the commercial is not a success. And then we have Marcus sort of at his lowest point, right? Like mm-hmm. getting chastised by Jacqueline, a part of the reason why he's so off his game. Mm-hmm. That's gotta be the shittiest situation ever to be in. 
Like That's you're awful. in the office of the person who is partially kind of responsible for, you know. I like, mean, she does hold an amount of responsibility. I do yeah. think there's like, there's a line. Like if you aren't able to work through a personal issue like that and still maintain at your job, like that's not great but she's definitely responsible for that feeling yeah but i mean she doesn't fire him no i was gonna say she doesn't fire him she just sort of you know she gives him a little bit of a tongue lashing not the kind he wanted probably (laughs) and then it's sort of like take some time off get your shit together come back yeah so she's like i'm gonna like spend time with him and try to make him feel better so she takes him to this class that she teaches and it's like underprivileged kids or something and she teaches them art and they're all very cute and it's a very cute scene and he interacts with the kids and one of the the young man in the movie is who's the young man in the movie the the young boy who it's the girl (laughs) and the boy they're the two main children his name is kenny yes he was on this show called The Parenthood. It, it oh used to my come God. on the CW. Robert Townsend yes. and yes. Dan Douglas were the parents. Oh my God. And he played the son on that show. That was the thing that I knew him yes. from. Kenny Blank. Kenny Blank. That's and it. he's like guest starred in a lot of shows that I watched as a kid. Hanging with Mr. Yes. Cooper. Yep. Living, living single. Freaks and geeks, apparently. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, a bunch of stuff. He's he's worked. Yeah. Great to see him. But like we're like building this relationship with Angela and Marcus, and they end up having Thanksgiving together with his friends, Martin Lawrence. And David Allen Greer and David Allen Greer's parents come and none other than John Weatherspoon is his dad. And, and BB Drake plays his mother. Yeah, I was trying to figure out if she I don't know who she is or if she's I, been in a bunch of stuff in like the 80s, I feel like. Okay. Uh, she didn't I knew she was probably someone famous. But um apparently this scene was put in the movie after the movie was completed. Eddie Murphy sort of insisted on John Witherspoon being in the film. And so they added this scene in with John Witherspoon <laughs> after the fact. I get why you would want to f- to make it happen for him to be in a movie. I know. Um, and I just like always like John Witherspoon always dresses like he's stuck in 1974. Like every every production like puts him in clothes like that. And I'm like apparently wondering. Apparently like, he picked his outfit for this movie. Wait, for this movie? Yeah. He picked, oh his, my he God. picked his outfit. <laughs> so and... this is his call then. And just improv most of the scene. So it's like, we just want you to come in and be John Witherspoon. And, and it makes oh the movie so well. better. It does. It, it does. makes the movie better. If you can hear bang, 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 then you, <laughs> you're good. Things are going right. In oh, good. He's okay. Um, also, I thought it was really funny that because when John Witherspoon and B.B. Drake, when Gerard's parents arrive, she brings in a bucket of chitlins with her mm-hmm. to be mm-hmm. eaten. And I thought it was really funny that the bucket was there when they left. Because oh, I, was I didn't thinking, notice like, that. It was on the counter and like in, amidst the mess. And I was just thinking, either you're like, I'm going to leave those chitlins there or I don't need that damn bucket anymore, I yeah. guess. <laughs> Although I did think these feel like people that are taking their bucket with them. <laughs> it seemed, it does seem out of character for not them to, for them to make sure they have their bucket on their way out. I mean, I'd be taking my bucket. Me too. Me. How many buckets do you get? It's hard to right? get, a, get your hands on a bucket. On another good bucket. It's very specific thing you need buckets for. 
Um, also at the Thanksgiving dinner, um, the parents made a reference about Angela and David Allen Greer being a couple. And they were like, no, we're not a couple. And I was thinking to myself, why are they spending so much time trying to deny the fact they're a couple? And I think it's because they wanted to make it okay, like in the viewers' yeah. minds, to Justify. see Angela and Marcus like eventually hook up. So that's what happens is yeah. that they they wake up on the couch to, with each other, and they have this really cute. Well, I to me it was like such a sweet moment where they just like start like slowly kissing, and they're like. And he's like, what are we doing? And she's like, we're kissing. And he was like, but we're friends. And she was like, friends can't kiss or something like that. I don't know. It's just very sweet. It's a really sweet moment. Yeah. I don't, we don't see them. We don't see them actually have sex. We just see them make out and start to. I think um, they, I think they understand. I think at this point in the movie, it's sort of clear. We've seen Marcus have enough sex that they're sort of like figured out. And I do think that that like kissing scene showed enough like very sweet intimacy for intimacy. us yeah, to, I agree. to like root for them. Yeah. Oh, and then the next thing I wanted to notice. So there's this scene where they're all playing pool. It's Martin Lawrence and David on Greer and Eddie Murphy. And um, Martin Lawrence starts explaining why he thinks pool is racist. And I was like on board for it. I was like, this makes so much sense. I'd never heard that before. Yeah, he's really yeah, he lays it out. He does make it make sense. He does. He really he he got me. I was like, I mean, first of all, I mean, I'm willing to believe that everything that is everything that exists has the potential to be racist. And I'm on board with pool now. You know? And this is also like the scene where David Ellen Greer's character sort of like finds out about Angela and Marcus and also like he makes it clear before Eddie does this the thing that has probably been done so many times where you're like you've done something you shouldn't do with somebody and you're not sure if that relationship you know with somebody who you don't know if your friend is into them or whatever and you're sort Mm -hmm. of like putting out feelers and you're trying to get them to sort of like make a declaration before revealing something Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Maybe it's not tale as old as time. I make it seem like it's like this sort of quintessential story. But that idea of like, oh, like, hey, yeah, so you don't really like so-and-so anymore, right? Yeah. Well, it's also trying to convince yourself that you have, um, you, what you have done can't be that bad because you're working within a gray area. Yes. And so you haven't, you haven't really betrayed your friend. You know For what sure. I mean? Because what you did is just sort of just happened and you wouldn't have done that had they really, really been together. You yes. Know? But <laughs> David Allen Greer doesn't really see it that way. And so he gets really mad at Eddie. And, you know, I kind of feel sad for him this moment. Oh, I was just going to say, I think it's also that thing of like anybody but you, you know, like I'm not right. even mad about her. If you had come in here and been like, yeah, I think she's dating so-and-so at the office. It would have been like, oh, okay. You know, but it's like you and I'm more upset because I care about her and I know how you treat women. Right, exactly. And I think it's also also that sort of thing, like at least what I gleaned from it, which I don't know if it's true or not, but it's sort of like, dude, like you get like you, you're always with women. You get whatever woman you want. And like now you're going after the woman that I'm like having this like thing with, like 
why why couldn't that be off limits to you? Yeah. You know what I mean? For sure. So so I feel that. That's hurtful, you know? Mm-hmm. Um and so you understand, but then you also, you know, <laughs> we're kind of like really rooting for Angela and Marcus because they yes. seem really well matched. Yes. Um and then of course Marcus has sex with Jacqueline again. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Whatever you thought you were rooting for, <laughs> hold on to that rug because we're pulling it out from under your feet. I mean, like, he has some insecurities when it comes to, well, obviously he has insecurities yes. because anybody who runs through women and treats them like such garbage like that has to be running on insecurities. Absolutely. And Jacqueline, I think, uses her power over him a little bit because she knows that she, maybe there's some jealousy on her part and she knows that she can sort of have him in the palm of her hand. I don't know. What do you think about that? She also says to him before they have sex, she, there's a meeting that they have. It goes really well with the investors. And she says to him, you know, this is the man that I remember. This is the, that you have become. I mean, I think she's referring to his confidence and right. just the way that he carries himself. And it's like, this is what she wasn't attracted to. She wasn't attracted to him before. And she says, before you started to seem desperate. And I think mm-hmm. that was the moment, this is what I was going to say earlier when we were talking. And I was like, I'll bring it up later. Cause yeah, I didn't want to go through point. the whole, this is what, no, this mm-hmm. is the moment that I realized what it was. It was that she, when he came into that room after she had that conversation with Angela, I think she picked up on a neediness and a desperation from him. And there was an mm-hmm. instant turnoff for her. And there was a possibility to sort of explore this further and see if it maybe is just like, maybe it gets worse or maybe it gets better o- over time. Maybe this is just sort of like, given what was at stake, it was like, it'd be better to sort of cut this off right now at this moment then go through the possibility of whatever this can turn into. I'm seeing what would be for me a red flag, which is like you being overly needy, going through in your head the possibility of this going bad and how this could get so much worse in a workplace scenario where you have to see this person every day and then just Mm -hmm. cutting your losses and being like, I'd rather you be a little hurt right now than heartbroken and me have to replace Mm -hmm. you or whatever down the line. So I'm just going to cut the whole thing off. That was what it felt like to me. And I think that that was it. I think that's a good assessment. I do. Yeah, I think actually this is why this is such a good movie because like there are so many different motivations for these characters and none of them are pure assholes. And that's what, you know, none of them are purely good and none of them are purely shitty, which is, again, just like good writing. No, for sure. Um, And so I think that that really comes through, particularly with the character of Jacqueline, because you don't hate her. You don't. And you understand why she makes the choices that she does. And even when she gives in and sleeps with Marcus this time, it's because she sees something in him that she initially saw. And also, Marcus never says to her that he's with Angela. That is a really good point. Yes, she doesn't even really know, which is, again, that gray area that we're working with when um, Marcus justifies sleeping with Angela because they never really said Angela is with David Allen Greer and, in fact, have said we're not, you know, we're just friends in his presence. So, yeah, there is a lot of gray area as well. 
And then he comes back home and there's the moment where she slips into the bed and the next morning, you know, Angela confronts him about what happened. And he plays a little bit of a game with her and he talks about how great she is. And he, you know, he he talks about how he loves her and he talks, he says what I think the worst thing is like, you've made me better. You've made me a better person. And Ugh. Jacqueline sees all of the work that you've done on me and she's responded positively to it. And <laughs> then, you know, the slap about her around the world. Heard around the world where she says you know he says i love you he talks about love and she says you don't even know what love is you don't love me you don't love her love should have brought your ass home last night yeah like that moment and it's a heavy moment because you do i mean he's the one who did the the wrong thing of course and he says to her there's certain things you have no control over which like is a shitty thing to say and like not true. I know that there are some people who excuse their behavior by by saying that and also maybe he feels like it's some sort of explanation. But you know, there's a sense of sadness that you feel for him too that he felt he had to seek that from Jacqueline, you know, that validation mm-hmm. and you know that that's something he's looking for. And then you also of course feel really bad for Angela because like he's turned in her eyes he's turned out to be the fuckboy that she thought he was, you know, yeah. or that like he presented himself to be in the beginning of this movie. It's a bummer. And then you see him again back in bed with Jacqueline. And you're like, fuck, please don't do this. You aren't getting what you want out of this. She's getting what she wants out of this. But he does pull himself out of bed, I guess, and, like, decides that whether or not it means he gets Angela, he knows he doesn't want to be with Jacqueline because he's getting scraps from her, basically. So it's, like, a nice personal growth moment. Oh, this is a cool thing. Actually, well, it's a little bit of a heavy-handed moment where Marcus's character sees on the side of the bus, clearly we know Angela's gotten a new job. And in a scene earlier, she shows him this painting that she does of like these naked blue bodies embracing each other. And then he sees that image on the side of a bus for a perfume called Epiphany. And the tagline is, when you know who you love. And it's like, okay, we get it. Like, she's like gone on to be like a creative person at another agency. And she's clearly like taken her art and her trauma and used it for the next campaign. So it's like, okay, like we get it. Yeah, and then Eddie shows up at the at the office. Marcus shows up with the two kids from the program that Angela used to teach at, and we're sort of led to believe that she's been really busy with her new job. She's in a high-powered position, and we see her now with a full face of makeup on, which lets us mm-hmm. know that she's changed. And, and she's, she's in, like, a more muted outfit, but it's, like, still high-powered and, like, boss lady. And she's sort of handing everybody their asses in the scene, and she's letting <laughs> people know, you need to get this on my desk by yesterday. <laughs> and like she's really and she does slap a subordinate but yeah she stabs somebody yeah <laughs> and then like we get the moment where that we all been waiting on really marcus comes into her office and he's basically just like i have been absolutely in hell without you and i want to be with you and i miss you and she says to him like Give me one good reason why we should be together. Why I should take you back. And he doesn't say anything. He can't really come up with something. She, I like this scene because she stands up for herself. 
And she's like, you can't love me the way I deserve to be loved. And she says, like, I think, like, a lot of the times with these, you want these two people to get back together. But a lot of time with these, like, romantic comedies is, like, someone will do some huge sweeping gesture, which doesn't really get to the root of the issue. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's more just being, like, this is a Under huge gesture. Swept. Yeah, exactly. And... She's saying the things she wants to say to him, which is what something that I really love about her character. Is she's like clear, I deserve to be treated really well, and then at one point she turns to him and she's like, "I'm scared," you know, and that is like such a real moment. And I think he might admit to being scared too. I can't remember exactly. Yeah, and so like. Then they, like, have a moment and they decide to, like, embark on this journey together, even though they're both scared of getting hurt, which is, like, the realest conclusion ever. And I did read that the director originally, the ending was actually, Marcus doesn't end up with Angela or Jacqueline. He originally ended up alone. And the last scene was supposed to be the scene where he makes up with Gerard and the three of them are hugging on the top of the building. Interesting. But the, the director was looking over the script with a friend and his friend was like, he has to choose. You like Marcus has spent the entire movie not making any decisions. Every decision that he's made in yeah. the movie has been made for him by a woman in this film. Mm-hmm. Like he doesn't, you know, who decides who wants to be with him, who decides who wants to have sex with him. And he just acquiesces. Like he has yeah. to step up to the plate and he has to say, this is what I want. And I'm going to go after it. He has to make the decision to leave Jacqueline's bed and say, I am in love with Angela. I do not want to be with you. And he has to go find Angela and fight for her. And so I think that it really does round the story out. Well, I think, yeah, I think that, I think without that, we don't really see a lot of growth, at least relationship-wise. Yeah, I mean, we if it just ends with him sort of making amends after sort of like fucking over a friend, and ending kind Which of is important, but yeah, like... no, no, for sure. But for him to step into his truth and and go and have that uncomfortable conversation and fight to get her back, I think does make for a more fulfilling and satisfying ending to this journey. Yeah, I mean, we, look, we all want you know a happy sort of modern day fairy tale ending. We want people to be together who want to be together and who seem compatible and seem happy and like you know this is a romantic comedy this isn't this is the vibe of this movie and so Mm -hmm. it would be sad to not see them get together i'm glad that his friend was like no you have to have this part because i think no i think it adds yeah for sure it's not one of those movies that i think it's nice to see him go on that full journey from the beginning of the movie ladies man who is sort of like you know here for anybody to a person who's like I'm gonna try and figure this out with you and you're a person worth going on this journey for which I think is so true not for everybody but like at a certain point you find a person who it doesn't mean that you're like someone who's dating all the time or whatever but like no matter what you think and no matter how you feel about casually dating or any of that kind of stuff like eventually you do run into people that you want to make that commitment with and you want to try with and i think that this is a really nice depiction of that so jane my question for you is would you watch this movie again i would absolutely i mean without a doubt this is the kind of movie that if i see playing on tv or if it's available to watch at any time i will watch it again okay that makes me happy do you have a movie that you want to give to me I do, and I think you know what it is already. Yeah, I know. Just, just <laughs> and I it. know you. 
I know you're not happy about it, but I did text you about it today. Actually, I texted you about it, I think, um, a week ago, and you didn't respond to me, <laughs> which which almost told me everything I needed to know. But I asked if you had seen the movie, and it was radio silence. <laughs> and so then I asked about it again today. <laughs> and the movie that we are going to be watching next week, and I'm sure Dave will also be very excited about that, is called Moulin Rouge. Okay. Do you want to give me any first impressions you have? Um, the only thing I know about it is I know that it has songs in it that were like popular pop songs before that mm-hmm. they um, somehow were able to geniusly rework and then <laughs> repackage as a part of this film, which I think takes place, I want to say, in France and like, I'm guessing like late 1800s early 1900s i can't remember the exact date that it takes place or but um, that's what i know about it and i know that nicole kimmon's never been paler and, um, <laughs> and i'm excited to watch them you know with these repackaged you know <laughs> these repackaged pop songs that now have like accordions <laughs> in the background of like heroes and um stuff like that so i'm sure it'll be a really fun and artistic journey that Baz Luhrmann takes me on. <laughs> and I'm sure by excited, you mean dragging your feet the entire week. No, I no, actually I am, I, I am kind of, I'm interested to see it. I've never seen it before. I mm-hmm. know of it. It was a huge film, very mm-hmm. popular everywhere. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't know how I didn't see it. I just never did. So I'm excited to see it. You know, I know it's got a lot of musical numbers in it. And it, of course, you know, the soundtrack gave us, you know, a reimagination of Lady Marmalade. You know, mm. of course, made mm-hmm. famous by the LaBelles in the, in the 70s. But then, you know, Lil' Kim, Pink, Maya, and Miss Aguilera got together and did another version that made it another huge hit. So I'm excited to see it. Absolutely. Well, I'm glad to hear that. I will say I walked out of it at the movie theater the first time I saw it. So that doesn't bode well for me but um... <laughs> no but I then I saw it again I loved it but I but initially because I walked in like 20 minutes late and I was so confused and I didn't know what I was walking into I was like what is okay. this garbage and so I walked out but then I sat down and watched it again and it was so good <laughs> okay I'm ready amazing well thank you everybody for sticking around and listening to us talk about boomerang we hope you enjoyed it and we will see you next week for la moulin rouge bye bye May the odds be ever in your favor.